What's up, Daw Nation? My name is Wyatt Troy, and I want to welcome you to episode 4.5 of Behind the Daw. Now, as you notice, this is a 0.5 episode. So how does this differ from the normal episodes? So usually on Behind the Daw, we interview music producers, artists, music industry experts on an emotional, philosophical, and artistic level. You know, we get inside their heads, find out what really worked for their musical journey, and we bring it back to you. So with the 0.5 episodes, what they are is we take the audio from our YouTube series in the Daw. We take it. We strip the audio out of it. We put it in a podcast form so you can listen to it on the go. Get that perfect combination of technical and emotional knowledge. And it's been a massive success. And by the way, if you can hear my laptop off to the side, I'm actually exporting some stuff from Photoshop. So if you can hear that, very, very sorry. Also, my throat really hurts because I just ate some popcorn before recording this. Completely bad idea. Never going to do that again. Nonetheless, this episode is with Diamond Eyes. Diamond Eyes is a brother, Joshua Marment. Incredible guy. Uh, we just did the Behind the Dot episode. Uh, with him on episode four. If you haven't checked that out, I highly encourage you to go and check that out. He really opens up. It's incredible. In this episode, we're going to talk about how he has extremely budget equipment, but gets amazing results on it, especially his vocal processing. I'm not, I'm not joking when I say he's one of the most amazing vocalists in the world. And he just like, he has like a hundred dollar mic, but he sounds like he has a $10,000 mic. He takes uh, uh, fireflies by Al city. And that's what the, that's what the main lead is in the song. It's incredible. It absolutely blew my mind, blew Adam's mind. So there's a lot of other things inside of here, mixing tips, sound design tips, so on and so forth. Hold on, I'm getting a call. It's from Salt Lake City. Do I take it? I'm going to take it. Hello? Is this his parent or guardian? Yes. Great. This call may be recorded for quality assurance. Mark your baby's one-year birthday by letting them dive into their first birthday cake. Would you like me to repeat that number? 110%. I do not want you to repeat it. Okay. Now, we need to be sure all of your contact information is up to date. All right, I'm bored. Sorry about that donation. I guess that was really, really important because it had to do with my son's insurance. But nonetheless, so if you're really enjoying this episode or the any episode in general, please feel free to comment down in the comments. It really, really helps us out to know what you think of the episode, what we can do better, uh, what we can enhance, what we can dehance let me get rid of you know what i'm saying and also there is several links in the description of this episode there's one for the patreon there's one for suggestions about artists and what songs you want people to dissect uh go ahead and click on those it will direct you to the da bot that we have set up tell him all of your deepest secrets he will transfer them to me and we can get you all set up either with the patreon or with getting certain artists on or so on and so forth also one more thing we offer private music production lessons and private social media marketing lessons for those who don't know that's what i do for a living in social media marketing so if you want those there is another link in the description go ahead and click on that dawbot will get you all set up without further ado i would like to introduce you to the one the only diamondized For those of you who don't know who Diamond Eyes is, he is literally, and I truly, sincerely mean this, you are the best male vocalist I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> Hands down, no question asked. You're gonna make me blush. <laughs> Thanks, man. My first tip actually would be make at least three backups of everything that you want to keep in this world, especially on the data side of things. I have another backup of my sample library. It's just a little bit out of date, but I was able to put together, yeah, the rest of the samples I needed for the project, so yeah. You have a really good rule of thumb for this multiplier about backups. Yeah, so it's called the three, two, one backup strategy, uh, which I didn't personally invent, but it's one of the, it's like the standard approach to backup the most 
content creators quote unquote use um, so I, I did a video on it but yes it, the, the idea is so it's three two one so you want three copies on at least two different mediums and and at least one of those has to be off-site uh, so, so for me personally um, I have two different local backups uh, but then I also have an additional backup which I take to my parents house every month or two and then I just kind of circle the backups around my entire livelihood is based on my da digital digital data so yeah I, I personally can't afford to lose anything be far far too stressful that's, that's, a, that's a great method I've got, got an external I've got a drive that doesn't leave anywhere and then I've got like online backups as well so I truth be told I could do with a third hardware solution like you say again you can kind of rotate around what digital backups do you use do you just use like Dropbox or what do you do uh, Dropbox and OneDrive they're both terabyte subscriptions to be honest with you I haven't used them as much as I should do my wireless connection isn't the best uh, in my studio but my wide connection is but I've been having issues with the Ethernet now I've fixed the Ethernet cable I'm getting like 70 meg download and like 2030 up so I can actually actually feasibly you know leave maybe leave my laptop on overnight and let it update to my OneDrive or to my uh, my Dropbox again it's it's one of those things that it's in the cloud essentially or in on a server somewhere so it's one kind of call on from anywhere in the world so something I want to point out really quick every single person we've had on the show has had Ableton and has had some form of cymatics in their session are we going to find cymatics in here yep we are yeah you can already see a C <laughs> oh yeah kind of diving in on the technical end first which is a strange place to but it was the first thing that sprung to mind when I first heard your track. How did you do your stereo imaging? One of my favorite things about your track was the stereo imaging. I mean, I, I suppose that, that that's the nerdy technical part, part, part of my brain paying attention, but it was, uh, it was absolutely amazing, yeah. How, how did that work? The first part is, is sample selection. On top of that, your instrument selection. I actually, I watched your, is it Trivector interview that you done last? I think you covered it really well, but obviously I'll touch on it again. Picking sounds carefully and picking sounds that complement each other in the first place. If I, if I didn't know that when I started, I'd have been, you know, 10 steps ahead already. And like, so how I kind of went about starting it is just with the synths and the bass and making sure that they complemented each other. Regarding the master chain as well, first I've done some mid-side EQ, but that's really just kind of mainly getting rid of the low end and, you know, anything on the stereo image kind of under around 200 hertz was kind of just cluttering the stereo. Um, so I got rid of that and then just... You some, know, like 200, 200 and below on, on, on the sides, that's kind of like your cutoff. I've heard 100 and below, but... I kind of feel like that's a little low. I kind of feel like 200 is a little bit more safe. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember what the figure is. I can't remember if it's like 100 hertz or 150 hertz. The reason I started initially doing it is because I heard that for whatever reason, if I ever get something pressed to vinyl, if it's... If, uh, I think something, if there's like too much confusion in the low end, it can make the needle skip on the vinyl, on the record player. Again, I don't know how accurate that is or what frequency or how much you need to kind of have cluttered down there. But general rule of thumb, anything above 100 hertz, I usually cut depending on kind of how clean I want the record. And, but I just felt like that 190 sat well for me. You know, I don't really kind of dial things in by specifics. It's just I'll, I'll listen to things. And then when it starts to sound good to my ear, that's when I'll kind of let it be. If that makes sense. How did this track come together? Did you start off with the, with the melody bit or with the vocal? Or? I think it started with the piano. I think it started piano and then I started to build like this nice little... So just kind of like eerie. What piano is that? That is uh, Alicia's Keys. Ah. From the contact library. I only kind of heard about Alicia's keys properly to the point where I was like, I actually would like to buy this one. And I think when Trevor told me about it from Set the Sky, I loved his kind of like his sound on the piano, and he was like, Oh yeah, dude, Alicia's keys. So then I saw it come on sale on I think the Black Friday sale a couple years ago, and obviously I, I grabbed it on there. It's something like thirty pounds, so you know, fifty bucks. That's the piano, and then I mean, there's like 
I parallel processed reverb on one half and kept it dry on the other, and just a bit of OTT. Um, but yeah, it start, started mainly with the, you know, the chord progression. That's usually how I start, chord progression and build a vibe with like the drums. So yeah, just trying to build almost like a scene, you know, like a video, just trying to really piece the elements together and, and get a vibe going. So it gives me some inspiration to write the drop and make the build, give it justice, if that makes sense. Do you see what I'm saying, Adam? Like now seeing Josh in person, in digital person, and then listening to his vocals, is yeah. the guy? Like... I found that with Nolan on the last episode as well. Like I, I, I had no idea that that was his, uh, his vocal. It's uh, so different. Something that I noticed really quick. So with your reverb, is it something pretty common that you do is that you actually don't send it to a return channel. You actually just duplicate it in the chain and have like one fully wet and one fully dry and then just kind of meld them together? Yeah, essentially. I, I, I mean, sometimes I kind of use these sends. To be honest with you, most of the time I should just delete them because they're just taking up real estate on the screen. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, so this, this would be like the wet chain. And this would be like the dry chain. And then I can kind of feed how much, you know, of said chain I want in the mix of the so if I just wanted it dry, else I can bring in. And yeah, so I can kind of have more. I feel, I feel personally, I just work better with having just little individual elements like that. And then that way, if I want to say sample the reverb from the piano, I can just get rid of the dry. And then. Um, yeah, then I can sample the you know the uh, the fundamental like the first chord of the scale with the reverb on, bounce it down, and kind of use it for reverse effects if I want it later on down the line. Yeah, so on that on that piano, did you play that in live, or or did you say draw it in manually and then offset some of the notes? Because it's uh it's really cool that I, I think quite a lot of people don't don't realize where if you're playing a chord, you actually want to offset some of the notes just to make it interesting, for lack of a better word. So yeah, was, was was that recording it in? Yeah, so this is actually this is programmed it, and you hit the nail on the head because when you play the piano, no one hits every single note at the same time and the same velocity. I mean, looking at it, I didn't get round to it. I completely must have skipped, but uh, I didn't edit the velocity. So editing the velocity would give it an even more, like it's a unique perspective. But regarding drawing in the notes, I started block chords that I liked and then added in little flourishes and yeah, in each chord. So you can see like how you know, in the first chord you can see everything's offset. Just to give it more of a played in feel. Obviously it's just super easy to kind of have everything like by uh, changing the, the timings, you definitely do give the instrument a more a realistic and organic, which is super important for tracks like this where there's a lot of breathing room. How did you come up with your chord progression? Was it just, are you super good at music theory and you know exactly that you want to go from this chord to this chord or were you playing around or you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I know all my theory. I've, I've gone to like, you know, I've got like diplomas and like teaching qualifications in, in music, but uh, I never I never use it. <laughs> I'm, I'm the complete opposite when it comes to actual writing music. I'm very vibe driven and very emotion driven. Say something's happened in my life and it's really set me in a certain way. I'll sit down and I'll just, I'll either start playing one of my guitars or I'll start, uh, I'll start playing the piano. Or, you know, if I haven't got access to either, I'll sit down and I'll just start vibing something out on Ableton programming. And I'll just kind of really write into something resonates with me. I don't necessarily go, you know, you know, from the C sharp, you know, I want to go up into the E or whatever. Say, say, you know, I want to use the F sharp natural minor scale or I want to write Lydian mode. I think it's valuable to know theory just so you kind of get your ear used to it and do have like a palette. But I don't call on the theory side of the palette when I'm writing. I'll just play and I'll know when something fits just because of, you know, experience, if that makes sense. 
sense. I'd love to get your guys' opinion on this. I kind of feel like with theory, there's kind of like this happy medium because they're like, there are people who don't know theory and they do great and that's fantastic. I found that like the theory that I do know has really benefited me and everything, but I kind of feel like there's this point, no longer is that information really useful. It's more so just like, topic of conversation when you want to nerd out with somebody words that you don't even know how to spell at that point it's no longer useful i mean do you guys feel the same way yeah definitely i mean from i mean my very limited understanding of music theory it feels like learning the basics is good and then the more you learn the more you're really just finding technical ways to describe almost anything like you can almost drop your things on the keyboard and, and you could describe that in music theory so yeah i i definitely feel certainly in electronic music uh, where also we're quite used to hearing Quite, quite simple chords and stuff like, like well, we don't hear the most advanced chords that often I, I personally don't think you need to spend like 10 years really mastering music theory but but certainly yeah knowing the basics and definitely helps pretty much in the same boat is, is you know it's all good to have all of the knowledge in a creative sense what's the knowledge without the use of a good idea like the knowledge is almost a way to execute your idea and you want to be able to execute your idea in the best way possible but without the knowledge you know sometimes you might struggle to make the idea come to life but without the idea you get nothing anyway you'll just have by the book music i believe it's super important to kind of have a, have a good balance as well how do you write vocals do you do it purely purely by ear or did you do lots of different takes or <laughs> funnily enough vocals is my quickest process by far i will spend most of my time slaving over the mix and making sure there's space for the arrangement for the vocal arrangement vocals i'm not giving you i will sit down okay so say for this track i made everything basically before i made the vocals i had a filler track that was just giving me that you know an, an idea of what the vocals will sound like in the track whilst that's making it and then got rid of the filler like just the reference track you know, not reference for any other reason than it was just a placeholder and then i sat down the next morning i grabbed my writing book i had like this i invested in a nice book that i could open up and I bought a nice pen that felt good with a bit of weight to it. I sat down and I wrote the lyrics maybe in about, I want to say half an hour. So I wrote all of the lyrics and everywhere where I wanted to include like a harmony, you know, or any kind of counterpoint or anything regarding arrangement in about half an hour. And then I bounced the instrumental down of Hold On, opened up a new Ableton project and I just, I just recorded everything in maybe in about an hour and a half, two hours. And then, yeah, that was pretty much it regarding like placement of audio and like how many takes I kind of use. I usually don't even record for the first kind of 10, 20 minutes. I'll sit there and I'll just, I'll sing everything that I've written for. And then after that process is done and I feel like I'm confident with, you know, with the material that I've written and the melodies, you know, the melodies are all done by ear. I don't sit there and say, you know, oh, this is this chord. So I need to use either the fundamental or the third note in the scale to, to make sure that it works. I just, I feel like I've developed an ear for it now at this point. That's, that's something I always advise is just being able to, you know, always use your ears. You'll always have your ears. So it's always good to develop them. So from that point onwards, yeah, I just, I recorded, recorded the layers. Um, I have one main layer. That's, that's like my favorite take of say the main vocal and then I will record two more layers of the same vocal but like a new take each time and I'll record one you know hard left hard right which is against stereo, which helps the stereo imaging and I'll bring them right back in the mix and then I'll have harmony layers as well so you know and then I'll, I'll, I'll space them out maybe you know 25 left 25 right or 30 30 respectively and just depending on how many layers depending how I place them in the mix and then, yeah, then I kind of bounce it down. Uh, I'll run everything through Arvox by the Waves first, just to kind of help 
get, I won't smash them, but I'll make sure that, you know, they're, they're not kind of peaking and they're quite consistent. So why, why is Arvox different or, or useful or, or important? In, in my process, I don't know. It just, it's just simple. Literally, it's one slider. It's like almost, it's like an, almost like an auto vocal compressor slash limiter kind of thing. I just bring it down until the vocal sounds consistent, you know? Um, so it kind of, it reduces my need to compress the compressor later on as much. And it just, it makes it, when I initially put it into the mix, it's already quite level, if that makes sense. So I can already kind of get an idea of how it's going to sit. And then any processing I need to do on top of that is just taste, you know, if I want to use some kind of OTT compression to kind of make the highs pop a bit more, or, you know, use some kind of like parallel chain vocal saturation on certain parts to kind of articulate, you know, a build or something. Yeah, so I just kind of use it to level everything out just to give give myself a bit of a break when it comes to bouncing everything down. It's just, I just, it's a preference, I guess. Do you tune your vocal as well? Um, or are you pretty good at singing uh, close, enough, close enough to the, the right pitch? Yeah, so uh, again, if we're having an honest conversation, absolutely. Um, I, will, I will tune vocals to a point, but I will never tune vocals if they're out of key. Purely and simply, it just doesn't sound as good. So I will always make sure that I will sing the vocal in key I'm hitting the notes I need to be hitting and I'm warmed up first. But for a lot of the stuff I do, I do like to have a very polished approach. So sometimes if I want something that's almost like an unnatural kind of slide up, then I can use post-processing, post-processing for that, for example, you know, just little tightening here and there, just if, you know, maybe I kind of wobbled a bit and I didn't realize it in the recording, then I'll, you know, I'll kind of rein in, you know, the width of the note. But yeah, nothing, nothing like drastic. You know, I used to when I was starting out, I used to auto-tune the living daylights out of my voice, but, uh, and it was very apparent. <laughs> but now it's just more refining, just for the genre that I'm in, rather than, you know, a, a necessity in terms of, like, my lack of singing capability. What do you use to tune your vocals? Uh, I use Waves Tune. Have you heard of that one before? I have. I'm actually surprised. You're actually, like, the first person that I've heard that actually uses it. Most of the time it's Melodyne or what's the other one? There's Nectar 2, which is a little bit cheaper, but it's, it's, it's not as good. Oh yeah, the next to is that pitch, yeah. Yeah, um, which is what, what I use, but it's quite, it's quite a crude uh, pitch uh, tuning algorithm compared to some of the other ones like Melodyne. I've tried using Melodyne in the past and I just find the, my workflow using Wavestune is a lot quicker because one, the, the UI in the box is smaller on the screen and I can kind of keep it up and I can kind of rapidly kind of go through different parts of the track and just check everything's in and I can do little alignments where I need to. Yeah, so yeah, my preference is, yeah, definitely as it stands, uh, Waves Tune. And I know that's an unpopular opinion with a lot of people. Is, uh, I know a lot of people love Melodyne. That's awesome. Uh, I'm actually really happy to hear that you're using Waves Tune, that you actually really enjoy it. It's oh, like, dude, I love it. What microphone do you, sorry, uh, do you do it all, all yourself or do you kind of get a studio or something? Or? Uh, yeah, so I've always done vocals myself and I use the Audio Technica 2035. Is that some mic? This, by all means, it's, it's very budget. It's, I actually have it here. Uh, the sound out of that microphone? Yeah, this is, I use, that's literally the microphone I use for everything since like 2013. Awesome. Yeah, and it's literally cost me like 120 pounds, maybe around that region. And then it, apart from that, it's just pretty standard setup. It's literally a, a nice white XLR because it looks pretty clean sometimes pop filter and just yeah I stand literally just recording necessities there's nothing nothing fancy I don't have no vocal booth or higher studio or no menu 87 or anything it's literally just bare basics when I started recording I would sit there in my room because it's currently untreated although I'm working on that but I'd sit there and I'd clap 
and I clap all the way around my room until I found a point where there was like minimal echo um, or like the least amount of like reverberation. And that's where I track. Yeah, but that, yeah, that's literally it regarding my mic. That's awesome, dude. I'm really impressed that like, cause you don't even have like a thing that goes around your mic or anything, right? Like you don't have a, I'm actually like insanely blown away right now that you are getting good of a tone that full of a sound from one from the from a budget microphone and not a lot of acoustic treatment i'm kind of, I'm kind of blown away right now to be honest yeah well i i don't know i think a lot of my my workflow regarding music is just how i've been brought up as a person for my like for my parents that my dad's always been a huge believer and it's not what what you don't have but it's what you have and it's how you use it so you know like i've had this conversation with other up-and-coming producers and they're like oh dude like how do you record your vocals and how do you make them sound so big and it's just like you just spend time you just you just kind of get to grips with what you have and then you're like okay well i have this microphone so i can make sound you know what else can i improve on right now that is within a my budget or my skill level um, and it's like well you know i can always be working on my voice that's one again it comes back to the idea versus the knowledge kind of thing except you can replace the knowledge with financial budget so as long as you've got a good idea and you know how to execute it it does add to it. Yeah, I'm rocking a, a mic and a lot of love for music, and that's literally, that's me. Tim Ferriss brought this up one time. I think it was Tim Ferriss. Maybe it wasn't. Anyways, so it's the concept that you guys, like, there's these two dimensions that you have. You either have time or you have money. Only the very privileged have both. If you have money, then you can just go buy the equipment. But if you don't have money, but you have time, then you spend the time learning your own equipment, making getting the most potential out mm. of it possible. You know what I mean? Only, like, you know, a very small portion of people don't have money or time, which is very, very unfortunate. But, you know, people either have money or they have time or they have both, you know? Mm-hmm. So it sounds like in your situation, you had time over money. In fact, another thing I tell people as well is like, I had a friend and he was like, oh, dude, you know, I really want to get a really nice microphone. And he's just kind of saying basically he wanted to spend a lot of money on his recordings. But I think it's something like he, he had a lot of money and he did, but he didn't want to skimp out on treatment, but wanted to buy a nice mic. And I was like, dude, you know, at the end of the day, I think you kind of have to go a bit hand in hand with that. If, again, if you want to get the most out of spending like a thousand pounds on the mic. But I said to him, I go, this microphone, it cost me 120 pounds, is on a video again, published by EA. So not for one second can you sit there and say, I need to have a Neumann U87, or I need some kind of shiny microphone that costs an arm and a leg to, to get a result. You know, you know it's, it's literally what you do with what you've got. And that's, that's always like my my example that I give to people, you know, you can make things happen. You just have to work for it. And then when you get nice things then it just, you know, it's even nicer, but you know, up until that point, that's kind of, that's, I believe a lot of the time coming up as a producer, that's what sets you apart from a lot of other people. It's just what you put into it and how much you kind of develop your craft. It's almost like the headphones thing where you hear that lots of the biggest producers in the world spent the first like four or five years of their production career using like $40 headphones, but they've just learned how those headphones sound. Um, even though they're not technically as good as the 400 pound headphones, they, they've just really figured out how to, how to use them. Basically. It's uh, awesome. Yeah. They're so, so, so true. Man. I, I definitely connect with you on the songwriting level. I love your lyrics. I feel like they're very well thought out. And so the fact that you said that you wrote these lyrics, you know, basically within a half hour to an hour is incredible to me because it takes me hours and hours and hours and hours to write anything. 
And so I want to know more about your songwriting process, like how you come up with ideas, how you find rhymes to those ideas, you know, like that. I'd love to know more about that. Yeah, so essentially I can tell you some techniques I can use if I strike, like if I kind of hit a brick wall maybe, that might help. Again, something I was brought up with, um, my dad always used to say, you know, if you struggle with an idea or you kind of stuck halfway through, grab a piece of paper, a blank piece of paper, and then just write down everything on your mind for like two minutes solid. Don't even do anything else. Don't, you know, obviously you can blink, breathe, whatever. But two minutes, just write everything down that's on your mind regarding like songwriting. Um, so it could be like, I could be sitting there and I could be making a song about orange juice. <laughs> you know, the word orange comes to my head. So I'll write down the word orange and then from that juicy and then something else will come up and something else will come up. And I'll just make this huge, almost like mind map spurring from the word orange in the middle. That's a really good way I found of just clearing my mind or at least kind of like just anything that comes to my head, even if it's subconsciously, just write it down. It could be the weather outside, you know? And then that way I'm just armed with all these different things going on inside my own head that might, might, or maybe not make a connection later on during the line. But uh, it gives me more options to kind of clear my head and uh, give myself some perspective as to where my head is at. So that's number one. As far as, um, you know, software goes and stuff, I, uh, I bought a subscription to Master Writer a couple of months ago. And if, if, you're, if you're stuck with Rhymes, it's great because it's, it's now this cloud-based subscription thing and you log on to Masterator and there's like, you can access it on your phone and it gives you like your notes on the left-hand side. So like your songwriting, so all your lyrics that you've written. And then above it, there's like Rhymes and then there's like, yeah, I think it's like different syllable, like Rhymes you can use and you type in a word and it'll give you different, different ways of approaching it. Um, to be honest with you though, I personally, even though I subscribe to it, I'm about to cancel my subscription. Purely and simply, it's just that personal preference. It's a great piece of gear, but I literally work best when I just grab my, my book and I just write essentially how I feel down, but lyrically. I, I never really sit there and think, you know, oh, how can I rhyme with this with this? I will just, I'll just sit there and keep the song on loop and I'll just keep writing. Um, and sing in melodies and you know if something doesn't sound right I'll scrap it um, I think it was Justin Timberlake said like um, when he was in his, whenever he was in the studio this is years ago that I heard this but uh, so I'll probably bodge this, what he said but if he can't remember it the next day he wakes up the song isn't worth singing you know like if you sit there and you're just like ah oh, crap what was the ah uh, oh, the melody what was that again and uh, what, what was I singing about you know if, if you can't remember it then how are you going to expect someone that literally sticks in a pair of headphones and, and listens to, to your memory, you know? So I, I don't put too much pressure on myself until, you know, I, I get something that I'm vibing on. And then usually at that point, I'll just kind of, I'll just explode off the, off the edge of it, um, off the edge, until literally I'll, I'll just start steamroll writing everything that comes down into my head. Now, I'll, I might have to cross off like seven lines where I've made like seven different versions of the second line of the second verse. And be like, no, and I put a little star or an asterisk. And I'll, you know, next page across is like, this is what I want to write instead. But honestly, like the best advice I can give is just really get into your own space and get into your own head. Don't worry about the songwriting process because in the, the day we spent so long as humans developing how to communicate with each other. We already have so much of the knowledge. It's just developing your artistic side of that and your creative side of that. Yeah, I suppose, you know, learning things and using resources can help sometimes, but at least for me, my core as, a, as an artist and a songwriter is very much, it's just who I am as a person. I don't sit there and think, you know, how can I improve my rhyming or this, that, and the other. It's just literally, personally, I use it a lot of time as a, a form of therapy, if that makes sense. So if, you know, how you feel and something's impacted you in a certain way, positive or negative, it's my best way of getting that out of here and bringing that to the forefront. 
So not only one is it great because it kind of gives you time to reflect on what's going on, but two, it kind of is something meaningful, which you know impacts you in a positive way, and it impacts maybe someone else who's going through something similar. So yeah, that that's kind of I'm I'm sorry if that's not necessarily like you know like a quick fix or anything, but I'd say channeling into who you are as a person and what you wake up for in the morning, and then kind of literally just putting that on paper, and that kind of I feel like that's really not only good to develop but it's very fulfilling as a person definitely definitely i mean i feel like that's something that's missing certainly not as much in normal like normal music quote unquote but certainly in electronic dance music it's it's really easy to fall into the trap of just writing like cliched song if you know what i mean almost without a meaning or any purpose and uh i feel like it i mean people tend to look at lots of edm and stuff and kind of to think of it as being quite shallow and I think lots of the times it actually is so it's um certainly a tr- like trying to actually write music that means something and, and has a actual musical message behind it I think so you, you can't really go wrong with that yeah absolutely on the head, that's great yeah just a quick question so I see you've got quite a big uh, stack of layers for the snare um what sort of <laughs> things are happening over there snares there's a few layers maybe one hand one <laughs> Yeah, at least at least five will say. <laughs> so snares. Okay, right. So I think I I made this snare or with after watching one of the silent streams on Twitch, um, just see that he kind of just lays a bunch of stuff. I mean, I've always laid stuff up like this anyway, but I think just watching him again just inspired me to just be like, no, this is rather than find one sample and make it big, you know, I've had some really good results making really good layered snares. Um so Kind of the first layer we've got, I believe, is almost like a clappy sound. I may be wrong there. Yeah, okay. So it's just a really big drum machine clap with some overdrive and some EQ just to kind of bring out some of the characteristics. Um, yeah, then we're rocking just another clap. Again, just EQ'd off to leave some space for the, you know, the lower the, the body of the snare. The snare here. I think this might be... No, this definitely isn't the main layer. But again, that's nice. I feel like that snare gave it a lot of body, whereas these top two kind of gave it more like presence in the higher registers. This gave it some more kind of some more hit in the middle. Next one is just, I think it's a transient. No, it's not even that. It's just literally a somatics click. Knocking <laughs> to the next one. Just another, another layer again. And it's, it's all fairly straightforward. So, yeah, just again, that's, that's kind of like the grunt of the sample. And then really, genuinely, it's just, it's just, for me, I just spend a lot of time. So I start with, I'll start to build sounds around it. So I'll kind of find the next sound I want and just bring the volume to nothing and then start to fade it up until I kind of get the sound that I want. So just you start building the layers up. And obviously then start processing and stuff. And generally, I don't usually use additive EQ past 6dB, but I watched uh, an interview with, Dave Pensado on Pensado's place and he was basically just saying you know forget the rules sometimes it just sounds good and you got to go with what sounds good and if I'd have done that about a year ago I'd have freaked out and probably like slapped myself in the face and said no no EQ above 6 dB but now looking at it from more of just you know a creative standpoint you know sure if it sounds good and you can't hear any phase issues do it make, make the, make. but yeah past that just some uh, yeah, EQ8 with a huge boost and just some uh, some highs ducked out of it because there's a lot of you know clap samples in there and stuff parallel compression transit master from uh, NI which you know just works well if you just want like a broadband transient shaping tool um, as I wanted to obviously use this parallel chain to kind of create almost like a false tail with the reverb. So yeah, so this is this is obviously the other thing I do that 
not off the quite CD, um, is Mickey Groot, safe for the snare, and I have got a dry channel, which obviously has nothing in it, and then a wet channel, where it's just essentially a synth and return. And then I put like Valhalla through it, and then I'll, uh, I'll eat you out the low end. So the snare, obviously wet on its own, is this. Also without the, without the EQ. Got a lot of muddiness coming in through the, the boominess from my sort of samples, so I cut that out. And then it blends in, and I use it again as a blending tool. So. But yeah, obviously, so I, I'll do the blending more or less in the mix as I'm kind of working through. I mean, yeah, I just think it's a general rule of thumb, really. You should never really EQ so much isolated unless there's like frequencies you're trying to get rid of. And you should always really try and aim to mix as a whole and kind of that way what you're mixing out, kind of you can tell if it affects the whole the whole vibe of the record. But yeah, so that's really my style. It's very basic. Again, sample selection is super important here. You know, finding samples that just work together. And then, yeah, just apart from like some EQ compression, some reverb, that's really it. But I have digital clip as well. Yeah, which I believe maybe is just taming some of the uh, the level. Yeah, okay, a soft clipper as well at the end, just to kind of give me some control and some headroom. But yeah, apart from that, that's literally my snare. Awesome, awesome. And 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 do you mix as you go, or do you tend to separate the songwriting and the and the mixing process? Bare bones, like arrangement. You know, if I'm just starting an idea with piano or whatever, I won't worry too much about it. Again, I'll make sure that it's the sound is in the ballpark, you know? So if I want, you know, like a really soft piano, I'll probably use all these keys. Um, if I want something more edgy, the Giant by an eye is good. I know the instruments is good as well. But, you know, so picking sounds that you know that you want in the, in the record first. And I won't worry too much about cutting frequencies or sound design. But as far as like, say when I've got the drums together and individual things, I will start mixing in the get-go. Like the snare, I'll make sure all the, you know, all the layers are right and they've got the general vibe right. So I'll probably use some EQ to get rid of some certain frequencies and specific things like the lead and the hook from the record. I, I'll, I'll do a lot of mixing on those because they're more sound design driven rather than like obviously Alicia's Keys is just a piano in a in contact so it's already going to sound pretty good but the lead was kind of made from nothing so i kind of had to craft that into what i wanted it to sound like in the mix if that makes sense quite early on i remember when we were doing the the pre-interview you told me about the lead and that this completely blew me away i did not see this coming at all can you tell us uh i know you already told me but can you tell us about the lead because it's super cool. Yeah, absolutely. So the lead is essentially, it's a, it's a sample from a song. It's from, it's from an Al City record, but it's sampled so so tight that it's literally just almost the tone of the voice and then heavily, heavily processed. So bring the sample out a bit. Fill the open air and least feel me. So, so it's essentially, but it's... Fill it, fill it. It's literally just a sampler and then just really bringing a sample in. But it started from that. Just because I, I, I was just trying to find a, a valve that sounded quite, you know, warm. And then, yeah, it just really added a bunch of overdrive. And, yeah, I've done the same thing with the processing rack. So I've got some saturated here on the dry channel just to boost it. I guess give it some more harmonic content of what I wanted to do. And then circle channel for reverb. The reverb's quite heavy, but it was a stylistic... Uh, choice because I'm side chaining quite heavily. I wanted there to be almost like pulsating feeling in the track. So when the track dipped, it didn't kind of lose everything when it came back up. As the loop was quite a big part, I wanted to fill out a lot of the frequency spectrum. So yeah, the reverb is very loud on its own. And then yeah, just literally some OTT. I got rid of some of the high end 
a little bit. So I think usually it's on like 10.3 on the high as well. But again, that's uh, not subjective. You know, that's just what I felt like it needed for the mix. To me, Q, uh, quite a bit. I mean, after all that, the, you know, the overdrive and adding all these frequencies, like harmonic content to the to the original sample, you know, there's a lot of unwanted resonant things. Just wanted to kind of give it its own space in the mix. So I kind of cut out and made some room kind of in certain areas like the synths and accentuated more of like the, you know, the present highs. After that, it's just really like, you know, there's an auto filter on like the build that's kind of, you know, just comes up with it. Again, same thing with some gain as well. Gain's automated, so it's not so present in the build, but it becomes more present. Then after that, it's literally just typical sidechain, really. So you end up is it, this. Is, it, is, is, is that the, uh, the, the format control on isotope? Polyvox oscillator is is that what I see for the automation as well? Uh, oh yeah, completely. Um, so yeah, that's really cool. I've always thought about doing that, but I've never actually got around to trying it or seen anyone else do that. So yeah, so honestly, it's such. I, I don't think it was even as apparent as I thought it was at the time. But I think it hit when the pitch of the sample went up higher. It started to become more tinny sounding, which you can find a lot when you use samplers and vocals and pitching it. It started to lose a lot of its depth. So all I done is I just brought brought the performant filter and you can do it in Nectar as well. And you can automate obviously the formant. So as it goes up you can kind of bring some warmth back into the sound. And it's yeah, it's, it's quite a quite a different way of working around it. But yeah, so that's kind of it's just the formant here. Obviously, you can hear the reverb tails expand everything. Obviously, along with that as well, I do a lot of like volume, like speaker off automation as well. So it cuts the reverb in certain places to allow you know, other things to happen. So it's very, very controlled, even though it's super loud. But yeah, that, that's the kind of that's the overall lead sound. Really, really cool. Did you uh, tune the um, that, that that vocal sample, or, or just do it by ear in terms of playing the notes and stuff? Yeah. So again, the, the vocal sample isn't like rooted to like a C. So if I played, you know, C, it, it transposed to a C. Just found the root note. So essentially, it's a D sharp here. And then yeah, I just, I just played it in. So, you know, just played in what I wanted. So I didn't play it, and I I programmed it in as I went along, and just kind of found the notes I wanted to make. And uh, yeah, it was really it's really simple as that. But one cool thing I will say is, you know, it sounds like it's got a lot of life and a lot of movement in it. Um, and it's because I do something with pitch bend in this section. I do a lot of pitch bend and I make my own vibrato in the pitch bend for like these kind of leady things. You know, I use the, the pitch bend to make little vibrato runs as well. You know, and sometimes I'll even do it more progressively. So I kind of start it off, you know, maybe I'll, I'll duplicate it and then here I'll make this ever so slightly more and kind of bring in the vibe. So it kind of sounds like it's being introduced like a single with singing vibrato with the vibrato technique. But yeah, I wanted it to be a bit more like an enchilada and a bit more in your face. So I didn't really worry too much about like technicalities there. But yeah, so that, that's the other cool thing I do. This is super cool because, um, so the first interview that we did today was with Arcane Echo. And so he did something extremely similar to this. So like your lead is, is basically something that's in sampler and then you process it and then you do some pitch bending. Mm-hmm. Uh, to make it super cool he did the same thing but with his uh with, with his like his main bass sound so something that i noticed is so this is crazy that like you guys did the exact same thing i like this like i've never really thought about doing this uh so with the pitch bend on this i'm assuming and this was the same for him this is the pin this is the pitch bend coming out of the sampler right correct yeah modulation okay so what's what's the trans or what's the pitch bend um oh, what am i trying the the, the range i think i yeah. set the range yeah if you go to the modulation or the midi tab one of those two uh, you can oh, oh, it. you don't want to get rid of that that's five yes. yeah so that's yeah that's literally it so at max you're going up what is five semitones three whole steps or or down three whole steps yeah i, I guess it's dependent on the scale wouldn't it like all right uh, i mean like a major scale i'd be like 10 semitone and that's like 
one seems to be four. Yeah, yeah, I recommend just getting five. Five is uh, a perfect fourth. Yeah. Oh, right. oh okay, right. I'm with you. My bad, my bad. I, okay. I didn't realize that there was a lot of, of, of pitch modulation going on. Like, this is super cool. I'm starting to realize that, like, I've been sleeping on the pitch modulation part because you're right. There, I, there's a lot of life in this. And so I didn't realize it was coming from this. So this is super cool, man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, it's, it's not what you have, but, you know, what you do with it. You know, there's always another way to make something happen, you know, nine times out of ten. When I started recording my own voice, I started editing my own voice is when I started to kind of hone in on the, you know, the sample of pitch bend kind of duo. Um, and just how cool it was that you had complete control over, control over, you know, if you want to make vibrato or little bends and little edits, then yeah, this is a great way of doing it in my opinion. And I feel like it's very handy. Can we take a listen to the drop just one more time? Sure. I'll, I'll play you in a couple of bars before. Yeah, yeah, question for you josh so no in there so i guess it's like a, a mid bass plug or something the da, 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 you know that that sound yeah that's going on what is that so that's literally a science patch that i just made so this is the sound so this is the core sound in silence okay and it's literally you know it's super super simple and it's a combination of square waves and saw waves. So part A is literally just saw waves. You know, the first oscillator A and you know, A2 both use uh, A twices with no re-triggering. They're, they're panned in opposite directions. Is, is that right to create that width? width? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that, that would be another, another stereo, you know, width tactic yeah, as well. It was like perfectly wide, the, that synth thing on the sides and then the vocal stuff sat in the middle and it all just, yeah, it was a, 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 a really nice way to do it. Yeah, oh, thank you very much. I mean, that, that means a lot because generally, like, I, I always feel like sometimes I, I don't know if the decision I'm making is, is the right one and I really have to really trust my ears. And then there's just, you know, the, the, uh, the plug-in version of OTT. Don't ask me why. Um, I think I, I hit Command F and search for OTT and... I must have misclicked, but I was like, ah, it's the same plugin. I'm not, I'm, you know, who am I to discriminate? <laughs> Wave Shredder, um, which is awesome. I use the, 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 uh, the chop mode. Um, so if I, if I start by turning these on one by one, just so you can kind of see the train of thought. Um, yeah, so OTT. And then Wave Shredder. Just really, really cuts the sound clean. Like I try and get as much juice out of it as possible if I want to use it. Some real basic EQ here as well. So just kind of getting rid of some of the you know the present frequencies where you know where the lead needs to sit. Yeah, so that's DQ, and then should just sausage fat in there as well. Yeah, and that's literally it as far as the as far as that. Yeah, so I, as, obviously as I made the sound from scratch, I kind of engineered it to fit the lead. That makes sense. I so love I saved myself a lot of job. Were there any points in this track that uh, almost like, like problematic areas um, or things that were quite challenging or, or didn't quite go to plan? The lead initially, purely and simply because I, 
I was too too anxious to move too much EQ. I know it's so silly, but like I was still trying to view it as like you know a bog standard instrument, like a piano, like that's kind of designed to sound a certain way. So I had a lot of trouble making the lead line fit initially and filling it out. Then I was like, no, literally, I'm crafting this essentially from the ground up. It's a completely different beast now. Um, so I just need to kind of roll with it and let my ears do the work. So the lead definitely was a problem area. And then initially the kicks as well, the kicks were, and this is very backwards because usually if I'm layering kicks, I will only ever have one with the, with the low end in, if that makes sense. You know, I'll have like a body layer and I'll kind of chop, you know, everything with a hundred parts or 150 or wherever it kind of starts to sound good. But here, literally, there's nothing going on on either kick. And they weren't originally like that. I had a separate sample and a bunch of layers. And I just added, so I had this, this sound. And then I had this layer on top at the end. Just to give it, you know, that almost stompy feel. Um, and I didn't even decide to, after I switched the samples out and ended up with these two samples, I thought, bugger it, you know, if they sound good as they are, then, then they sound good. Like, you know, I mean, subjectively to me, they sound good. And there's nothing else I could say I'd do on the matter at that point. And that's, that's really where it comes to just trusting your ears. Sometimes things just sound good. They may not make sense as to why, but I feel like in those, in those kind of situations, it's just good to roll with it. But apart from that, everything else was pretty systematic. You know, the bass sound was just a variant on the, uh, on the synth main patch. You know, I didn't, I, the only thing I did differently is I added a, uh, seven semitones above to give it that kind of like almost chordal effect. And then, yeah, really just you know, cut the low end out of it and just kind of level it off. Yeah, and you know, the snares to me, I, I rolled through them real quick and just added processing where I felt like I needed to beef it as I was mixing the track. Cymbals really just, you know, best side chain. They're more of like almost like a white noise in the background of this song, just to kind of give it more presence than anything. Oh, one cool thing actually that um, the guys from Discord taught me start year was running like a sub, running a sub through the same group and then cutting all the low end out of it. And then it like almost gives like a sheen of like saturation on the symbols, which I thought was really cool. And then obviously I saturated it more, you know, got rid of the supervising. Or that's really interesting. Cool, yeah. yeah, yeah. So like, it's, it's very subtle. And I'm not, to be honest with you, we only talked about it and I didn't really see it in demonstration, but from what I gathered, you essentially, in the group with the cymbals, you drive the sub quite loud and then, you know, naturally you start to get a bit of like distortion because things are overdriving and then you cut the sub out because the sub only has sub frequencies and the hats only have, you know, the high end frequencies and then you overdrive it and then you get this cool like sheen on the cymbals. And other than that, yeah, just everything's been run into a drum bus, so these are the drums on our own. But... Yeah, um, so yeah, I said anything I really had problems with, mainly was, was the lead. Everything else was very, very easy to mix, if I'm being completely honest with you. Vocals were good to write, uh, effects were just placed and they sounded good as they were. You know, layering, just kind of listen to your ears. Um, and yeah, made sure that I was relying purely simply on what I thought sounded good rather than looking too much at graphs, which is something I've been in this for in the past. My, uh, my final question for you is, uh, mm -hmm. If you, right now, if you're able to go back in time and you're able to sit with yourself uh, when you first started this session and you're able to counsel yourself, you're able to tell, uh, to give yourself some advice, you're able to, you know, basically tell the old you some things that, that uh, could have made this track go easier or, or you know, maybe eventually, uh, yeah, get, get to the final result faster or whatever. What would you tell yourself? 
That's a good question, honestly. Um, okay, um, I would say to myself, looking back now, don't, don't stress yourself out about it. Music that you make will be a reflection of how you are and how creative you are at that time. So if you make sure you put yourself in the best place, you know, mentally, physically, you know, you look after yourself and, and you'd be kind to yourself if you have, you know, you're having a rough time or you're having a good time, make sure you reflect and understand that. Just sit down and just write what sounds good to you. And don't worry, if, you know, if someone doesn't like it, just listen to the music and just make what you feel. And I know it's always sound like a very hippie, like a hippie way of looking at it. But at the end of the day, if, you know, if you're stressed out, and, you, and you're trying to push that aside and at the same time something else is happening and like your whole life starts, you, know, you, you might feel like you start to feel very crowded and very like claustrophobic in your own, in your own body. I feel like personally that, that can be a huge hindrance to the, the quality of material that you write. So yeah, just make sure that you put yourself in a good place and you open yourself up to just make the music you enjoy. So I always feel like that will be your best product. So yeah, don't sweat the small stuff <laughs> and just and just make music that sounds good to you. That's what I'd probably say. That's fantastic, dude. Thank you. Um, we have a, we have a standing uh, a standing tradition here on the show where at the very end uh, we ask you, feel free to say no, but also feel free to say yes if you want. Would you like uh, Multiplier and I to give you feedback on this track of, of what we think or what you could have done different or so on and so forth? Do you know, I would be foolish if I said no. Um, as advice and you know wisdom from other people so it's always valuable for me so yeah go for God if you guys have absolutely anything you want to talk about or critique then yeah I'm always something that I noticed and so this was something that uh, do you know who AU5 is? I do yeah Austin Collins amazing guy amazing he taught me something uh, with side chaining which made side chaining so much easier so what you're doing right now is what most of us have done uh, where it's like you know you put a compressor on each track you had that going back to you know like your your dummy kick or whatever you had or what mm-hmm. you. so what he told me to do instead have you ever seen someone do the side chaining but through a return channel oh i do i do honestly i do that sometimes are you gonna say where you have an audio channel and a midi channel and then you make the midi notes and you send the midi through to the audio channel and then you route every channel that you want to be side chained into the audio channel so that is that is one way and that's actually how he does it yes uh, um so I didn't mean to steal your thunder there. <laughs> so that's how he does that. So I, I do my yeah. own a bit differently because um, you can do that. So like, for example, so for those of you who don't understand what's going on. So basically yeah. what um, AU5 does is he creates a return track. On that return track, he puts um, volume shaper. He doesn't uh, put a, a compressor. He puts volume shaper on there. And then he basically, everything he wants to sidechain, he sets his output on each channel that he wants to be sidechained to sends only. And after it's put on a send, okay. you can send that to your, your send, which she sends to the side chain. Right. And then, um, and then th- this is where I get kind of like a little, a little bit confused because he does the little MIDI thing, right. He has to do like an external, in, uh, external instrument. So it tells when the site or tells when the, um, the, what's called the volume shaper to turn on and turn off and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So what I do, and this is, this is totally just a little uh, personal preference thing, but I found that it works really, really well for me. So what I do is I do that, except I do it within audio effect rack. So what I do is I, I create a return channel. I put an audio effect rack on it. Then I create a chain inside of that audio effect rack and I map the volume to a macro. And then for that macro, I can control the volume as needed. Right. And That's then cool. and what I do is, so 
uh, I actually create in my return channels, I create three different ones. And so the, the, the top one is that it's a full side chain. It, it side chains all the frequencies. The second one only side chains the mid and the low frequencies. And then the third one only side chains the low, right? And then, okay. so what I'll do is I'll go in, uh, in my arrangement and I'll actually, you know, of course I'll have to draw in the automation according to the macro. So I'll be like, all right, kick here, snare here. You know what I mean? Kick is super yeah. deep. Uh, snare is not as deep, uh, so on and so forth. But what makes it, and you know, at the, at the beginning, that kind of seems like it would uh, take a little bit more energy. But what's really cool for me now with this is that I can instantly be like, okay, I want my uh, my bass to be sidechained. Let's send it to, to return track one to see if I want all of the frequencies sidechained. Mm. Okay, that sounds good. Let's try uh, side tra- or, or return track two where it's not uh, sidechaining the highs, but it's sidechaining the mids and the lows. Okay, oh, I really like that. All right, what about just yeah. a lot? No, I don't like that one as much. And I can instantly, because it's literally, I'm just like literally churning up the return channel things. You know what I mean? Sure. It's yeah, absolutely. actually like really, really easy. So that way I don't have to go to each track and put a side chain on. Um, I just created me a template and then I can literally go in. I can draw, I like drawing in the side chain, yeah. to be honest. Um, <laughs> it, actually seeing it visually really helps out. And so just, I don't know, I, and maybe, you know, I know there's like 16 different ways to side chain, but you know, I, I found that and I, I really, really liked it. And maybe it could, maybe you like it, maybe you don't. And if you don't, that's okay. You know, I'll, I'll be mad for a day and then I'll let it go. But yeah, we'll hug it out. We'll hug it out like Boris We'll yeah, get exactly. it together. Other than that, that's really all I got for you is just, uh, I just feel like all those compressors on there could get tedious and, and yeah, of course. So that's all I got for you. What about you, Multiplier? Yeah, so kind of scratch my head trying to find almost any, anything to pick up on. So I don't know if you did it in this track or not, but most people don't realize this is setting. So you know you have that sampler lead um, that you kind of play quite high pitch. Absolutely, um, yeah. So if, you head, if you head to the sampler, I can double check to see if you've got the setting on the highest quality mode. Um, for example, ah, perfect, right. yeah, so you see, um, see what it says, Interpol. I don't. Am I being pan? Directly. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so that is basically a, 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 the technical term for quality in this context. So sometimes oh. now it's not. Now, now the, the reason why it's set to normal by default is it's quite rare to actually hear a difference. But very, very occasionally when you play like, I don't know, like an octave or two up from your, the, the root note, um, yeah. you will hear a difference between normal and best. So like normally it's, it's absolutely fine. And, and that's why most people don't tend to adjust it. But if yeah. you do sometimes hear it, like quite a harsh sound coming out of your sampler because you're playing like an octave or two up high. Um, sure. it's, it's worth just trying the, the best interpolation because it uses barely any more CPU. So I, I, I personally, for example, set my default sampler to be in best because it is like a tiny, tiny amount more CPU. But uh, yeah, it's just, just a, a small little thing that, as I say, like the, the, the difference is quite rare, but it's one of those things every now and then uh, it, it can result in a slightly better sound. Oh, brilliant. Thank you guys so much for giving me some feedback. I genuinely awesome. appreciate it. As far as songwriting, as far as arrangement, as far as production and mixing and mastering, you freaking blew it out of the water, dude. Like, this is an amazing song. So. Thank you ever so much. That, that means a lot coming from, you know, from a couple of really talented guys like you as well. It's always, it's always good to kind of, again, know the people doing it, if that makes sense. I suppose it's a validation, but not in like a selfish way. Just, it's just nice to know. <laughs> Hey, Daw Nation, thank you so much for listening to episode 4.5 of Behind the Daw with Diamond Eyes, breaking down his song, Hold On. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, again, make sure to comment down in the comment section, or you can send me an email. You can send me an email at Wyatt at BehindTheDaw.net. That's fine. You can also click on any of the DawBot 
links down in the description. And then you can talk to the Dawbot, tell them the suggestions of what you want the next episodes to include. Also, wherever you're listening to this, whether it's SoundCloud or iTunes or Spotify or Deezer or Google Play or some other unknown mystery app that you listen to your podcasts on. I don't judge. Anyways, wherever you're listening to this, go ahead, comment, like, subscribe, follow, repost, whatever is appropriate for the particular platform that you are on right now. And uh, thank you so much for sitting through that uh, insurance call. I thought that was nice and random and very behind the DAW-ish. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind the DAW. I'll see you next week. Talk soon.